You guys can have a seat. Uh, my name is Eric Hovis. I'm the lead pastor here. If, you're, if this is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. We, we, we hope and pray that this, uh, that New City Church, our gathering, would be a place of uh, healing and rest and restoration. We're not, we're not uh, super flashy and fancy, but we do pray that this would be a place of gospel transformation. Um, you know, on uh, two things I want to kind of bring to your attention. On Sunday, October 17th, which is in two weeks, um, we're going to have food and fellowship and fun uh, after church uh, because we're going to be looking at Jesus' first miracle in John 2, the wedding. So uh, we want to give you that as an opportunity to invite your friends and family. Uh, but then also after that, November 5th and 6th, uh, we're going to have a weekend or event um, and this is really for people who have been attending New City for less than a year, which is about 75% of this room. Um, and so this is going to be a great way for people to go from connected to the crowd to committed, uh, to go to jump in and to see what it looks like to be a part of the New City family. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But uh, for now, we're going to be transitioning back to the book of John. You know, our first two weeks in this book... Uh, we looked at the famous prologue, uh, the introduction, and there are some great, rich theological truths uh, about Jesus in the introduction of our book. And we were introduced to a guy uh, named John the Baptist. He's not the author of the book of John, uh, but he is a guy named John the Baptist, uh, who we also called John the Witness. And today we're going to see more about our guy, John the Witness. And remember, if you remember two weeks ago, uh, we said it was, if Jesus was the main event to the big show, then John the Baptist was like the Uber driver that gets you to the show. Uh, both are important, but Jesus, the main event, is way more important than our Uber driver, John the Baptist. Uh, but this week and next week, we're going to be looking at this idea of being a witness for Jesus. Uh, and we're going to, uh, going with the theme of John the Baptist as our Uber driver, maybe we could say we're in Uber driver training. training. Uh, but today, uh, we'll look at John's example of what is needed to be a witness for Jesus. Uh, because remember, the, the point of the book of John is that so that people would believe in Jesus. And over the next two weeks, uh, we're going to see the method that God has ordained for others in our life to believe in Jesus. And in two weeks, like I said, uh, not next Sunday, uh, but the next, like I mentioned earlier, on October 17th, we're going to have a big church-wide application uh, of our next two passages. Uh, this week, we'll see the messenger and the message, uh, and next week, we'll see the call to bring people to Jesus, for, to, to come, for people to come and see who Jesus is. And then on Sunday, October 17th, we'll look at the first miracle uh, in the book of John where Jesus turned water uh, into wine. And on that day, uh, we're going to take communion and celebrate, like I said, with, with food after our service. And we want you to take this as an opportunity to invite friends and family to come and see uh, who Jesus is, to hear about who Jesus is and what he's done and how he has the power to restore and transform our lives. You know, every, every Sunday is a great Sunday to invite your friends. Uh, but this Sunday, October 17th, is designed specifically and is planned specifically with that in mind uh, for people to come and see the power of Jesus. Uh, so be praying for that, uh, for people to come and hear the gospel and re respond in, in salvation. And I've been saying, um, we're praying for God to bring a harvest of salvation throughout our journey in the book of John. And y'all, it has already started. God is moving among us uh, and saving people in our midst. And my question for us to consider is who else will be saved? You know, we've been praying fervently for God to save people in New City Church. May we do whatever it takes 
to get people to see the heart of Jesus and his incredible power to restore. Uh, May we be obedient to set the sails to speak to, to interact with, and to invite those who don't know Jesus so the Holy Spirit can move in power into those sails for God to save them. And just like uh, Pastor Chris reminded us last week, we are praying and have been praying for over three years uh, for God to do far more, to do far better than we could ever ask or imagine. And I've been saying this for over nine months now, uh, and I was reminded of it this week again. May we as a church believe in faith and pray boldly in faith for the next great awakening. Like, may we just never stop praying that. May we not lose sight and pray boldly for a complete revival in our city. Like, we should be praying for these things. Yo, we love to pray for crazy, bold, audacious things here at New City Church. But I do want to make one thing very clear today. This has absolutely nothing to do with making New City Church great. You know, before we, before we ever came and planted New City, you know, over three years ago, when we said, uh, when we said yes to this endeavor, uh, I was struck in my steps uh, by Acts 5, 38 and 39 that said, if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, it cannot be stopped. And what I think we'll see today is that be- in being a witness for Jesus, it is eerily easy to make it about us. And what we see in our passage today, modeled by John the Baptist, it is, there is a stark reminder uh, that our life is not about us, that our church, our ministry is not about us. And we must point to Jesus, all of it. Like we, every, everything we do, it must point to Jesus. Whatever ministry you are a part of, whether you're a pastor involved in a campus ministry, leading a city group, a discipleship group, a serve team mem- member, ministering to your family and your neighbors and your friends, whatever it is, we need to know that there is a grave danger that is lurking at our doorstep that we must all be aware of. And that danger is for us to think, hey, everybody, look at what I've done. Look at all that we're doing. Look at how great we are. And what we must recognize from our passage today is that no matter what is going on around us, that our only proper response is to point to the main event, is to point to Jesus Christ. And remember that we're just the Uber driver that is taking people to the big show. Uh, Yes, uh, our Uber driver is very important, like they get you to the show, but at the end of the day, the glory of the night goes to Jesus Christ, not to us. In our time today, we're going to look at John the Baptist, the gospel messenger, uh, and then also look at the gospel message, which leads us to our main idea. The gospel messenger points to the gospel message. Really simple idea today. We've got two parts to our text, the messenger and the message. And I, I think we get this idea of being a messenger I know they simply deliver the news or a message, whether it's good or bad. Um, I don't know if y'all are this way or not, uh, but whenever I get bad news from a customer service representative about something that really have no con- they, they really have no control over, uh, I have to try really hard and remind myself not to take it out in the person that's, that's bringing the bad news. Like they're just the messenger. Like the cashier at McDonald's tells me the ice cream machine isn't working. Like it's not the cashier's fault, okay? Uh, They're just delivering the message. That's what messengers do. They simply deliver the message, whether it's good or bad. Uh, And this is what we see with John the Baptist in our text today. Except John the Baptist, he has good news. But he knows that he's only the messenger. He's the, the, the messenger delivering a gospel message. And he makes it very clear to everyone that he's not important. And John, the messenger, he very adamantly uh, deflects all the attention away from himself and he points it to Jesus. 
which for us, it's an excellent model to follow. And, and, and when we think about our own ministries and lives, you know, our ministries, uh, they have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And it has absolutely everything to do. I mean, it ha- has absolutely nothing to do with us and absolutely everything to do with Jesus, reminding us that humility in ministry is essential. Humility in ministry is essential. The moment uh, our lives and our ministries become more about us and what we're doing than it is about Jesus, then we are in a heap of trouble. And so that being said, to give us a more detailed outline for today, based off the messenger and the message, we'll see these two points. Number one, the humility and the practice of the messenger. And number two, the magnitude of the message. So that's where we're going today. Uh, Before we get into our first point, I want to remind us uh, of John the Baptist and who this guy is. Because if we only look at our passage today, uh, we may not see the big picture of his life. You know, we know from the book of John that John the Baptist, he came to pave the way for Jesus. Uh, And just as I pointed out two weeks ago, if we were to flip over to the gospel of Luke, we'd see that John the Baptist, he came uh, from a very significant family. His dad was a trusted, uh, trusted priest named Zechariah. His mother's name was Elizabeth, and their family was related to Jesus' mother, Mary. And in Luke chapter 1, we see that an angel came to John's father and told him that his son would bear witness to Jesus. I mean, that alone is enough to make us believe that John is a big deal. I mean, this, this guy, John, is important, and he has a reason to boast. Uh, but not only that, we, we also see in Luke chapter 1 that the angel that was sent from God said that many would rejoice at John's birth, and that John would be great before the Lord, and that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and that he would go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah, and their hearts and turn their hearts of their fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord to prepare. I mean, y'all, <laughs> this guy's the real deal. He's got quite the resume. My all-time favorite description of John the Baptist has always been out of the book of Matthew. Um, You know, I'll never forget how impressed I was with the description as a brand new Christian, uh, as a six-year-old high school kid that didn't really know the Bible like at all. I didn't know anything. I didn't understand it. It seemed like a bunch of jargon to me. And I was reading through the book of Matthew for the first time. uh, And I kind of saw other people around me underlining and uh, writing in their Bibles. And I thought maybe I should do the same. That seems like the Christian thing to do. And so I read his description in Matthew 534 that said, "Uh, John wore a a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. And I was just stopped in my tracks by his description. I wrote in my, in my Bible, in the margins, uh, beast of a man. Like, I was just impressed with this guy. I thought he was cool. But then later, down in verse 11 of chapter 3 in Matthew, John the Baptist said, he who comes after me is mightier than I. I mean, so John the Baptist, he was out in the wilderness, covered in animal skin, eating wild bugs and honey, coming from an important family with a pronouncement of greatness, And he doesn't point to himself. No, he points all of his attention to Jesus, which is exactly what we see happen in our John John passage today. Look at what the author says, starting in verse 19. Follow along with me. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Why do you, what do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. 
They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So there's several things going on here, uh, but what I want to emphasize today is our first point. Number one, the humility in the practice of the messenger. And in this point, we'll see two things running kind of parallel with each other. Uh, we'll see John's humility, and we'll also see what he does. We'll see his, uh, his practice. Uh, so let's think about this for a second. We know John's resume, who he is, uh, what was said about him, where he came from. And we saw five questions asked about John the Baptist in our text. And four out of those five questions are basically asking, hey, who are you? In the first question, they said just that. And he didn't tell him who he was, but rather they told him who he was not. I, kind of, I found this kind of funny. Um, it kind of feels like that game, 20 questions. <laughs> you guys remember that game? Yeah, I, I, it, felt like, uh, that, it felt like that game when they're trying to guess who the person is and they, give, and they give you clues to help you figure it out and guess. And that's kind of what's happening here. They ask John who he is and he says, I'm not the Christ. And then they ask the second question, trying to figure out who he is. And they ask, are you Elijah? And he's like, no. They ask the third question, well, who are you? Are you the prophet, which is a drawing from the promise that God would send a prophet like Moses? And John says, no, that's not me either. I'm not that guy. And they're like, well, then who are you? The fourth question. We were sent here to find out who you are because people are asking, who in the world are you? And then as we read in verse 23, his answer, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And like our, 20, our game, 20 questions, uh, maybe it seems like John answered the question in a little bit of a roundabout way. Uh, so John describes himself as the voice, no, not the show, uh, but he describes himself as the voice that's crying out in the wilderness. So John's, uh, he's not the word like Jesus was described. He's not the content, no, he's the voice. John is the communicator, saying to everyone in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. In essence, John was saying he was the messengers for those who were in the wilderness. John was the messenger for all the people who were displaced, who were searching and wandering out in the wilderness. And I don't, ever, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a literal wilderness, but I think it's fair to say it's easy to feel like you're lost out in the wilderness. And there aren't any signs, uh, there, are, there aren't any directions, no clear markers. Uh, there's not much security and comfort that is found out in the wilderness with, uh, with all the wildlife. Uh, things are not established. There's no roads, there's no trails, no houses, nothing's been cultivated. Uh, there, there are a lot of limitations out in the wilderness. I mean, you're literally out in uh, the wild where it feels like monsters and wild animals are going to come and eat you. Like that's just what it feels like out in the wilderness. And before we moved here to Tampa, uh, my family, we lived at my dad's house in North Carolina for about two months. And after we sold our house with our kids, you know, they were, we sold our house. Our kids were still in school. Uh, They're finishing up school. And my dad's house was kind of out in the city. But it feels like you're out in the middle of nowhere, uh, surrounded by nothing but woods. Well, uh, in the back of his house, through the woods, uh, there was a river. And, uh, but there wasn't a direct path to the river. And so my dad, he wanted to take the kids to see the river. And so we started kind of climbing through the brush, uh, cutting back the branches, moving stumps and limbs, trying not to get smacked in the face or step in a pothole. Uh, and of course, my kids, 
they, we were fending them off. We were fending off and protecting them, like trying not to let those monsters come and get them. And we were paving the way so we could get to the river, eventually making kind of like a makeshift trail um, so we could get back there on a regular basis more easily. And so during those few months, we'd make our way back to the river on, on that makeshift trail that we had. Uh, and so in many ways, this is what John the Baptist was doing. John the Baptist was paving a trail for others to get to Jesus through their wilderness. And so we know that John came into a physical wilderness because he was eating bugs and honey, but we also know he came into a spiritual wilderness because at, there, there, he came in after 400 years of silence from God where, when people are wondering, what is going on? What is happening? Where are we going? Asking God, where are you and what are you doing? And John comes in and says, as we saw in verse 23, hey, listen up. I've come to make straight the way of the Lord. In essence, John comes into the wilderness where there isn't a lot of clarity and direction, where it seems like they're surrounded by monsters. And John creates a straight, straight path. He creates a clean trail uh, that makes a way to Jesus in their confusing spiritual wilderness. So who was John the Baptist? He was the guy that made a path to Jesus. And then we see in verse 24, the conversation kind of changes. Uh, and he answers the people who he was. And they asked, why are you baptizing? Like, if you, if, why are you baptizing if you're not the Messiah, if you're not the prophet, if you're not Elijah? Why are you doing this? And John answered by saying, he baptized with water where Jesus was baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to sidestep here for a second uh, and take a bit of a rabbit trail and explain this baptism piece. Uh, and this would kind of fall under that practice, the practice section of our first point. Because remember, four out of five questions, they were asking who John was. But that fifth question was in regards to baptism. It's a specific practice. Wondering like, why are you baptizing? Why are you doing that? And maybe you've wondered that yourself. Like, what's the point of baptism? And what John was doing, and what we do here at New City when we baptize people, John uh, was preparing people, and he was symbolizing outwardly for what only Jesus could do inwardly in our hearts, which we'll see in a moment is to cleanse, be cleansed of our sins. Baptism is an outward expression. It's a symbol of what God has done in our hearts. Uh, so just as an interesting note, the very first instance we see of baptism in the Bible, the way that we do it today when we go fully underwater and, and immerse, it's right here in our text with John the Baptist. And there are many uh, things that portray a similar idea in the Old Testament that point to baptism, but this is the very first full portrayal as we would know it today when we baptize people. And the reason we do, it, do this here at New City Church, baptized, uh, baptized by immersion, just kind of as we celebrate what God is doing in their life by taking people completely under the water and bringing them back out, is because every instance we see in the New Testament, we see people baptized by going completely underwater. That's the New Testament standard. Uh, it's really actually the only way baptism, uh, is the only way the Bible shows baptism. It, it, baptism literally means immersion, like to immerse. And this is how Jesus was baptized by going fully underwater. And so when we baptize people, like we did a couple weeks ago and hope to do it again in the next couple of months, it's an outward declaration of what God has already done inwardly in our lives. The person being baptized is making a public profession of faith, symbolizing that the old life is gone and our sins have been washed away and we're raised into a new life with Jesus. 
Again, baptism, it does not save us. It's simply a symbol. It's an outward, uh, an outward declaration of what God has done inwardly in our heart and life. And so that's what John is doing here. He's baptizing people with water, revealing what Jesus would eventually do with their hearts and with their souls. But notice what John says back to the Pharisees, starting in verse 26, when they asked, why are you baptizing? Look what it says. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So John, in this moment, was referring to Jesus, saying to them, there's somebody you do not know that John said would come after them. And in verse, John, uh, verse 27, John said, uh, he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. In essence, John's saying to these guys who are asking who John is and why he's baptizing, he's, he's saying, you're looking at me who baptizes with water, but I'm just a lowly servant. You're looking at the wrong guy. There's someone better, and there's someone who's more important than John. And John is saying to these guys, that's who you need to be looking for. And as we'll see in our section, uh, John points them directly to Jesus. But before we get into that, I do want to take note of uh, John the witness and what we can learn from him in regards to being a witness for Jesus, uh, seeing more of the humility and practice of the messenger. Okay? Uh, and we need to ask, what did John do for Jesus as his witness? Well, uh, John humbly took the attention off of himself and he directed it towards Jesus. John's life wasn't about making himself great and bringing glory to himself. No, John's life was about reflecting the greatness of Jesus' glory. Maybe we could think of this like a mirror. Uh, when you shine a light on a mirror, the light bounces off of the mirror and it goes in another direction. John was like a mirror that was reflecting the light of Jesus. He was reflecting glory away from himself that he could have taken, but he didn't. Rather, as John's witness, he directed it away from himself and pointed it back towards Jesus. And so that's what Jesus' followers are to do. We're to be like a mirror and we're to reflect the glory back to Jesus. Uh, but you know, I think if we're uh, brutally honest with ourselves, our mirrors uh, don't always reflect super well. Sometimes unintentionally or maybe intentionally, uh, we kind of just like absorb the glory. <laughs> uh, and that's just, this is how our human nature works. And not to mention, this is also the way of our culture to be the center of attention, to want people to like us, to promote ourselves, to build a brand, to be an influencer. And if we're not careful, we can be like little glory thieves, stealing the attention and robbing our focus that needs to go to Jesus, uh, but rather we absorb it all ourselves. And there are so many ways this play out in our lives. Thinking about the gifts that God has given us for example, maybe just with our skills or talents, maybe with our resources or achievements or accolades or friends or maybe our influence, there's a temptation to use these things for our own purpose and our own glory and our own self-promotion rather than for Jesus. And, and please hear me, okay? There's nothing wrong with trying to get ahead and work hard and be successful and influence others. We should work hard and we should strive to be successful, but the temptation we all face is to take what should be reflecting like a mirror back to God. We instead, we absorb it for ourselves. Again, as followers of Christ, we're called to be a mirror and reflect the attention back to Jesus. 
And hear me on this. This doesn't mean we lower our self-confidence. It doesn't mean we go around belittling ourselves uh, and putting ourselves down. No, it just means our view of God, it needs to get a lot bigger. Uh, It means we realize we're just the Uber driver and Jesus is the main event to the show. Uh, The Uber driver doesn't get the glory for the night. Jesus gets the glory. And this is what John the Baptist was modeling for us. He's showing what it looks like to be a humble messenger. His ministry wasn't about his glory. It was about Jesus' glory. But the other thing I want to point out quickly about what John shows us is more in that practice category of our point, asking the question, what do messengers do? And we see here from John is that humble messengers pave the way for others to get to Jesus. And so let's ask ourselves, who is it in your life that you want to bring to Jesus? And ask what, what obstacles are in their way between them and Jesus? And then ask, how may God use you to remove some of those obstacles? Maybe the obstacle is they just need to hear the gospel and you need to share it with them or invite them to church to hear the gospel and follow up with them in a conversation. Or maybe the obstacle is just a lack of understanding and maybe you paving a way for them to get to Jesus is sitting down and reading the Bible with them and explaining some of their questions. I love apologetics. And when I think of apologetics, this is what I think of. In apologetics, we're simply removing every intellectual barrier possible that keeps people from trusting in Jesus. We're paving a way to get them to Jesus, moving those stumps and limbs that are barriers for them. Or maybe today you need to pick up the phone and simply call someone and just ask them how you can pray for them. Or maybe you need to grab grab lunch with someone and ask a few hard questions. Or maybe you just need to tell a friend next Saturday, hey, I'm picking you up for church tomorrow. Uh, Make sure you're ready. Like, don't ask them, just tell them. Um, Obviously, you need some relational capital to do this, to make this happen, or else it's just kind of strange. But I say that because that's what a friend of mine did to me when I was in high school, to go to Young Life. You know, every week, my friend Charlie, he would say, hey, I'll be at your house to pick you up. Make sure you're ready. Never just kind of said, hey, I'm going to be there. He never forced me to come, but he was a friend, and he would just kind of show up at my house with some of my other friends. Uh, So I went with him just kind of as a friend. And eventually, after about two years of his investment in my life, God saved me. My friend Charlie paved a way for me to get to Jesus by not giving up on me, by just being a friend to me and continually putting me in places to hear the gospel. And so let me ask you, what is it that God is calling you to do to pave a way for your friend to get to Jesus? Again, messengers are humble and messengers pave a way to Jesus. But then next, look what John the Baptist does uh, after he's kind of deflected the attention off of himself and he paved a way back to Jesus. Look starting in verse 29 as we keep moving here. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. 
Okay, there are a few things here I want to point out uh, before we get into our last point regarding the message. Uh, we see that after the Pharisees were talking with John the next day, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're going to dive into that, uh, that verse. That's the message. But I want us to notice the few things that he says after that. Okay, so we see John re-emphasize what we saw in our previous section, uh, how Jesus was greater than John and how he came baptizing with water and God's people would notice Jesus. But something I found interesting was that John said twice in both verse 31 and in verse 33, John said he did not know him. Now, we know from other passages that John likely knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know that Jesus would be the Son of God until he saw the Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. And when he saw that happen, like he had been told it would happen, that's when he knew Jesus was the Son of God. And there are two things about this occurrence uh, with the Spirit descending onto Jesus that I want to point out and kind of explain for us to put in our back pockets for later, okay? First, it said twice that the Spirit of God descended and remained on Jesus, characterizing God's Spirit as remaining. That word remain here is the same word for abide or staying or enduring. God's Spirit abided on Jesus. It endured and stayed on Jesus. That's what the Spirit of God does. It stays, it abides, it endures. And so hold on to that. Okay, we're gonna come back to that. But then secondly, we see that Jesus, with the Spirit of God on him, would then baptize others with the Holy Spirit. John baptized people in water. He immersed and fully submerged them in water, where Jesus would baptize and immerse and fully submerge people with the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit rested on Jesus. And so I want you to hang with me here, okay? Put that on pause, uh, because we're going to come back to those two ideas. This is like... It, that's kind of like the icing of the cake, but I want us to get to the actual cake, okay? Uh, so let, let's get back to what we skipped over. I've got those two ideas, put them on pause, and uh, we're gonna get to our last point. Number two, the magnitude of the message. And the magnitude of the message, without a doubt, is what keeps the messenger humble. And this is also what the messenger is paving a way to, okay? So there are three groups of people here today in our room, here at New City that I want, I want to encourage to really listen up in the last 10 minutes of our time. First, if you're a Christian, like let these gospel truths encourage your soul. Like let these truths uh, yet again uh, encourage you. You and I, we need these today. This is good news. Again, all over again, like let these warm your soul today. But then secondly, if you're not a Christian, listen up because we have some incredible news for you that I have no doubt will completely transform you and, and fuel your life with purpose and fullness. Uh, but then thirdly, maybe you're how I was for 15 years of my life. I thought I was a Christian because I went to church on Sunday, because I was baptized as a baby, because I sang in the kids' church choir, and because I was confirmed in the church at the age of 13. I thought I was a Christian because I celebrated Christmas and e Easter, because I went to a Christian sports camp every year. I thought I was a Christian because I memorized Bible verses. I had a Bible. I prayed to a God when I needed help. Our family said a prayer before dinner. I did community service. I went to Bible studies. And generally speaking, I wanted to be a good person. And I thought, because I did all of these things, I must be a Christian. And it wasn't until my friend Charlie, who picked me up, 
week after week after week, who talked with me week after week, paving the way for me to realize all those things I thought made me a Christian aren't actually what make me a Christian. What actually makes us Christians, it is just one simple truth. And it was the message that John the Baptist shared in verse 29 that we read earlier that said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And maybe you're thinking that sounds great, but I don't get it. That doesn't sound so simple to me. But this, my friends, this is a remarkable message that makes us Christians. This is the gospel message. This is our good news. And y'all, the gospel, it is remarkably simple, yet is deep enough to sustain us for a lifetime. And this this truth will catapult us into an eternity with God. And so I want to break down this one sentence to show the simplicity of it. And then hopefully we can marvel yet again at the remarkable depth of it. And the first thing John the Baptist, the messenger says, is to behold, to look, to be in awe and to be in wonder, to see the magnitude of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when John said, look to the Lamb of God, he was pointing to Jesus. Jesus was and is the Lamb of God. And John the Baptist, he was drawing from the Old Testament, from the Passover, when a lamb, an innocent, spotless lamb, would be sacrificed and killed and pay for the sins of God's people. You know, I will never forget when we lived in Central Asia several years ago in the springtime when all of the snow was kind of melting with mud and puddles everywhere (laughs) in front of little pop-up carts along the side of the road. I know the first cart, it was like a, uh, there was, I loved it, it was called shashlik, uh, which was basically meat smoked on a stick. Uh, it was like fresh lamb and duck and chicken for like $2 on a stick. It was awesome. I loved it. It was so good. It smelled so good. But the next cart over, it was like a vegetable stand with all the fruits and vegetables from the season. Um, and the next cart uh, would be like beautiful fresh cut flowers. You could kind of walk up and smell mixed with kind of the shashlik smoked grill. Uh, And the next cart over would be like live chickens to take home, cut and eat, cut up and eat, which kind of threw off the whole aroma of the whole place. But, you know, uh, but then in the springtime for one week out of the year, the next cart over would be a bundle of sheep and goats in a pen or maybe tied up to the cart uh, that typically just kind of came off of a truck where there were uh, tons of more sheep and goats. The sight that smells during this one week, let's just say they were full of flavor, okay? But the reason this image always gripped me was because people would buy these sheep and goats to sacrifice them as a means to celebrate the end of Ramadan. And I'm not going to go into the differences of why they did it and how it's different, but they were reminded of when they sacrificed that animal was that the animal was a reminder of a substitute, where one person deserved the penalty, but the animal was substituted in to be sacrificed on their behalf. And what gripped me when I saw those sheep on the side of the road were that these people understood the concept of a substitute sacrifice where a sheep or a goat would go in the place of another person, but yet they didn't know the ultimate and forever substitute sacrifice, Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that would die and be sacrificed on the cross. And substituted in the world's place, in my place, for my sin, in your place, for your sins, that would take away the sins of the world for those that believe in Jesus. They were trying to sacrifice a lamb to celebrate and to please God, but yet they rejected the ultimate lamb of God. 
They rejected the ultimate substitute sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. They had uh, their ways of trying to please God, and y'all, we have our ways with things like trying to do more good than bad, or maybe just coming to church or saying our prayers. But the reality is, God is only pleased with us when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Because when we trust in Jesus, he washes us clean and takes away our sin eternally and forever. And he looks at us as spotless and innocent. And it's not because of what we've done, but it's because of Jesus Christ was substituted and sacrificed in our place. He took our punishment and we get his reward. And because of that, we're clean and we're new and we're called children of God. And y'all, this is such good news. Every time I say this, every day we wake up as followers of Christ, as clean and brand new in a new creation. Christians, sit in that again this week. Revel in that. Behold and be in all of that. Christian, your sins are forgiven. Do not sit in guilt. Do not sit in shame. No, sit in the presence of God as a forgiven saint because of the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. It was sufficient. This is your standing. This is your identity today. Behold that and remember that. Again, what makes us a Christian is not what we do, but it is by believing in what Jesus has done. That is it. That alone is what makes us a Christian. Believing that Jesus' death on the cross was a sufficient sacrifice for our sins, past, present, and future. That alone is what makes us a Christian and what brings us back to God. And if you are here today and you have not trusted in Jesus, I want to urge you today to put your faith in Jesus and tell someone. Because again, faith in Jesus alone is what makes us a Christian. It is nothing else. Not attending church, not doing more good than bad, not reading your Bibles, not saying your prayers. Those are all good things and we're called to do them. But it is believing in Jesus Christ alone that makes us a Christian. And when you believe that, you too get a clean slate. You are washed completely clean once and for all and into eternity. Again, y'all, we need this every day. This is so simple, yet this is deep enough and great enough to sustain us for a lifetime. And you know what? It doesn't stop there. As we close out our time today, may we not forget we still have icing for our cake. We don't just get a clean slate, and we're not only cleansed of our sin, but remember how I said we come back to this idea remember that the spirit that descended and rested on Jesus that we saw in our passage a little earlier? Well, John the Baptist, he reminds us, and we find out later that the Holy Spirit that abided and rested and sat and endured and remained on Jesus, those that believe in Jesus, Jesus then baptizes with that same Holy Spirit. Get this. If you are a Christian, you are fully immersed into the Spirit of God. That same spirit that abided and remained on Jesus through our belief in Jesus, it then abides and remains in us. And that same spirit sustains us and sits with us and endures with us and it rests with us because that's what the spirit does. Church, as followers of Christ, we're not just clean and guiltless, but we are also fully immersed and remaining in and sustained by the power and the spirit of God. When we are in Christ, we are fully immersed into God's power and presence. Christian, right now, right now, as we speak in this room, where you sit, you're not just with the Spirit of God. You are fully immersed 
by the Spirit of God, into the Spirit of God. The Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world by covering us at the cross. He was fully immersed in our sins at the cross. He took them away. He was covered in our sins. And that same God, in the same substitute transaction where Jesus became fully immersed in our sins at the cross, at the same time, in that same transaction, through our belief, we are immersed with His Spirit and power. We are immersed with his grace and love and strength and rest and enduring and patience and his steadfast love. That's what the Spirit does. We're not just forgiven, but we are given rest into God's presence. God doesn't just forgive us and leave us. No, he remains with us and he stays with us and he endures with us and he holds us. We are absolutely 100% fully immersed into God's presence. Christian, the power of the living God has you fully immersed into God's love and care and protection. And you know what? While we're fully immersed in that, (laughs) he tells both you and me with that remarkable power, you are now my witnesses. You're now my messenger. You now point to Jesus. You pave a way for others to get to Jesus. And he tells us, you're not doing this alone. You're doing this fully immersed by the power and presence of the Spirit of God. And you know what happens when we're walking by the Spirit and not in our flesh? We realize, oh wait, God is the one that gets all the credit, not me. Because when the Spirit is in our life and we see the magnitude of the message, God keeps the messenger humble. Because it's not about us, New City Church. This is all about Jesus. Church, that's our call today to go infused with power as humble gospel messengers proclaiming and pointing to the magnitude of the gospel message. Let's pray. God, we we submit to you. God, I don't know who in this room may need to respond in faith today and put their faith in Jesus. But if there is someone in this room today that knows that they need to respond in faith. Maybe they, they walked in thinking they were a Christian. Maybe they realized today, oh wait, I'm not. God, would they put their faith in Jesus, realizing it is trusting in Jesus alone. Father, we, we pray for that. We pray for a harvest of salvation. And God, would we go in the, in the Spirit's power and presence, knowing we are fully immersed into the Spirit of God. Father, we need you. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.